Jeremiah 17. The Lord just added this this morning. This wasn't in my original uh, notes, but I'm just going to follow the Lord. Verse 7 says, and I'm reading out the Amplified, Jeremiah 17 and 7. Most blessed is the man who believes in, trusts in, and relies on the Lord, whose hope and confidence is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its roots by the river, and it shall not see and fear when heat comes, but its leaf shall be green. It shall not be anxious and full of care in the year of drought, nor shall it cease yielding fruit. How many excited about that? But then the next verse. Verse 9, the heart <laughs> is deceitful above all things, and it is exceedingly perverse and corrupt and severely mortally sick. <laughs> How many is all encouraged now? Aren't you just encouraged? The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is exceedingly perverse and corrupt and severely mortally sick. Who can know it, perceive, understand, and be acquainted with his own heart and mind? And then, of course, the next verse says, I, the Lord, search the mind, I try the heart, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The heart is deceitful. How many can just moan and get it over with? No matter how good you are in Christ, no matter how good you are in God, your, your heart will lie to you. Because we're spawned from the first man, Adam. How many have been regenerated by the second man, Adam? Woo! Hallelujah! But because uh, we have the, the, the uh, DNA, if, if you'll allow me to say it that way, of the first man, Adam, even though I have new DNA through Christ Jesus, and there's a part of me that wants to do it right all the time. How many, how many does that take you in? I always want to do right. I always want to be good. I always want to do it the way God would have me to do it. There's no hands going up. I'm getting worried. Maybe I better give an altar call, right? Okay, all right. I want to make sure. Made me nervous there for a minute. <laughs> but how many of you have ever read the Word? Thank you. I paused just a little too long right there. How many have ever read the Word and and you got a hold of something. You were excited and you went out for Jesus only four hours later to find that you put your hand to something sinful you shouldn't have done. Don't raise your hand now. This is why Paul said, he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Because everything in me wants to do right, but then there's stuff, there's stuff in my flesh that causes me to do the opposite of what I want to do. You ever read that? But thank God he doesn't stop there. 
He doesn't stop there because he takes us, that's in chapter 7, he takes us over to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, he said, I think that's Romans. In chap, yeah, Romans 7. And in, in Romans, the 8th chapter, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because what I cannot seem to get worked out of my flesh, he can. He can through the Holy Spirit and through the Word and through prayer and through time in the Word. He can work it out till one day the things that are tripping me today won't be tripping me tomorrow. That's exciting to me. And I have found that to be the truth, that the more time I spend in my prayer closet praying in the Holy Ghost, the more time I spend in my prayer closet uh, praying in the natural, the more time I spend in, in the Word of God, seeking the Word of God and looking at His counsel, the more I change into the image of Christ Jesus and less like the first man, Adam. And so it's a progressive journey for you and I, we get born again instantaneously when we ask the Lord and make, our, make up our mind and change our heart to want to live for him. But then there's a season that the Bible talks about working out your salvation. It doesn't mean that you and God can make up your own rules. And uh, this will go over the head of all of our young people, but all of you older folk who know who Tom T. Hall is, me and Jesus have our own thing going. Well, uh, that sounds cute, but that's not theologically correct. Because what's theologically correct is Jesus said, this is how you do it. And I go, yes, sir. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't get a big amen, but it's good preaching. <laughs> oh, that's too late. You stop it. <laughs> so. I wanted to start here because I, I didn't start here in, in the notes that I had, and I want to try not to get too hung up in the notes. I just want to share the principles that I have here. But the heart is deceitful. Tell yourself real quickly, my heart will lie to me. Just when I think I'm doing so good. She is really obedient. Just when I think I'm doing so good, I'll find out, oops, oops, my heart lied to me. My heart lied to me. Matthew, the sixth chapter, the 21st verse says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you started uh, talking about the, the offering today, I went, oh, oh, same spirit, same spirit. For where your treasure is, is there will your heart be also where your treasure is there will your heart be also so before i get into this what is the heart is this talking about that pound and a half beating flesh on the inside and i don't know if it's a pound and a half all you fact checkers get on with it Is it that working muscle squeezing, or is God talking about something else? He's talking about not your physical heart, but your spiritual makeup, who you are. You are comprised of three components, your body, your outward body, which has animal appetites that must be fed. But you're... 
It weighs 9 to 12 ounces. That's what I said. <laughs> well, I got a heavy heart. If you got a heavy heart, it's a pound. <laughs> Stop it. Leave me alone. But you're made of three components. Your outer flesh, your fingers, your digits, all the stuff and the internal organs that make you work. But buried inside of that where you cannot see is your soul and your spirit. Your soul looks like your outer man, but it can't be seen with the natural eye. And when we depart from this life and leave this earthen vessel behind, when you come up out of you, your soul comes up, your spirit comes up together. Because the word makes it very clear that those two things can only be separated by the word of God. Your spirit is the God-likeness in you. And that is in darkness, and you're simply just soulish until your conversion in Jesus Christ when the God-likeness inside of you is regenerated and comes alive. And it's from out of your spirit that you begin to live that starts transforming the person that you are. It's out of the God-likeness. And the more you feed the God-likeness on the inside of you, the more your, your soul will begin to look like Christ. Your Christ is what the Bible calls the heart of man. And the heart of man is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, your emotions. Can you see how the heart can lie? Because some of us are stubborn in our mind. Is anybody in the room stubborn in your mind? I see a lot of half-hearted hands. But you're honest. Thank you. Look at that. There's newlyweds in the house. Ain't that something? <laughs> now that's a honeymoon when you come to church right there. <laughs> Where was I at? You all got me messed up. So, so your mind is stubborn. And if you make up your mind, sometimes it's like a bulldozer having to change your mind about the way you think about something. Correct? <laughs> and how many of you are willful? By goodness, this is the way it's going to be. You ain't changing my mind. I don't care what you think. Some of us are stubborn in our will. How many have ever seen a, a spirited animal? Stubborn, hard to get it to do what you want it to do. Did you know the human soul is the same way? We're stubborn. We want it our way. We like it our way. We like being in control of our world. And coming to Christ is, is something that's diametrically opposed to the, the DNA of the first man, Adam, who chose to do it his way. And that's already resonant on the inside of you to do it your way. Look at your wife right now and go, I told you. Look at all the brave men in this room. I saw one do it. 
<laughs> so the heart of man is the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. How many have ever had your emotions lie to you? I'm a blue personality or a, a, a melancholy, and everything I do is based on emotion. Every feeling I have is filtered through an emotion. So one day you'll see me, I'm on the mountaintop. Woohoo! life is good. And 10 minutes from now, you can come back and I'm going, oh, life sucks. My emotions drag me all over the place. And so I've had to learn to build in Christ a cushion against my emotions to, by understanding what the Word tells me about me. The Word says I'm the head, not the tail. I'm the tigger, not the eeyore. <laughs> those of you who know those cartoons got that. <laughs> I forget, man, things have moved so fast that these generation, yesterday I asked somebody, uh, do you know who the three stooges are? They go, uh. To me, that's second nature, man. So I got to get on with it. Time is getting away. Uh, so here's what the scripture is telling us. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Your heart is in what you treasure. And the heart above all things can be deceitful. Have you ever asked yourself, where is my heart? Where am I, God? Where am I? What do I treasure or value the most? You ever had that conversation with yourself? What is it that really matters to me? I don't know how most of you uh, think or, or operate, but I know how I think and operate. And I go through life oblivious a lot. Oh, hey, thank you. I'm not sure that was the Holy Ghost that told you to say amen right there. But I go through life in a lot of times kind of oblivious to things around me because I get tunnel vision and focused on something, and I miss a lot of things. And so oftentimes I have to stop and evaluate who am I, where am I, and what am I doing, and why am I doing it? So have you ever asked yourself, where is your heart? What do I treasure or value the most? Because I don't know how you are, but I've had moments that I did not want to answer these questions because I'm not sure what the answer would be. May I suggest that we all think that we will give up everything for Jesus. But is that really true in our heart? You know, I tease a lot of times, um, we sing that old hymn of the church, all you young teenagers won't recognize this. But we sing the old hymn of the church, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my Blessed Savior, I 
surrender all. Doesn't that sound wonderful? It's beautiful, and it has the right emotion. And I side with it, and I want that to be my heart. But the truth is, if I sing it honestly, I surrender sometimes. Sometimes I've never surrendered at all. <laughs> and sometimes it's like, maybe I've surrendered some. So you get the idea. Sometimes I don't want the answer. But the truth is, is I need the answer. And God has put me through the test in many different directions and many different ways. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And the reason I often didn't want to hear the answer is because I wasn't really sure where my heart was. And so God has this beautiful way of helping you see your heart. Did you hear that? Tony, she's so she's just so excited for Jesus. She's like, oh hallelujah. Oh hallelujah. Oh hallelujah. But but when the Lord does that, it hurts. I'm going along just fine, and all of a sudden, boom, bankruptcy. And you think your heart's not in the things you own. Wait till the banker shows up to your house and he drives everything you own out of your driveway. And you're standing there going, what happened? <laughs> and I found out there was a cord from my heart attached to the stuff that rolled out of my driveway, especially when my Greyhound bus left. You don't understand. That's singer gold. If you've got a bus, you've made it, man. I thought my heart was good and true and pure. And I don't abdicate this. Everybody here who knows me knows my heart. But I found out what was really in my heart when, when divorce papers were handed to me. I thought my heart was true in Jesus, Steve. I thought I was something for God. At that point, I thought I was a great Christian. Until that happened, and guess what? This nasty, angry, horrible man that was hateful and angry and wanted vengeance began to arise out of my heart. And I subdued him in 10 minutes. Yeah, right. If I wasn't careful today, that same ability is still there it's just i've learned how to conquer it and live in the victory not in the dna that was handed me in the beginning amen i've got to hurry 
Wait till you go through ministry setback. Wait till everything you're doing, which looks so successful and so blessed and so wonderful, goes the opposite direction all of a sudden when you weren't expecting it. And when that happens, your heart goes, I thought I had this together. I thought I knew who I was. I thought I was strong. But I've learned when the word says, take joyfully the spoiling of your goods, I've learned that in the moment that happens, the first thing I do is I go, oh, God, thank you. Hallelujah. You can have it. It's yours. Now, that took me a long time to develop, a long time. But once I learned, God, it's okay. Your plan is better than mine. Your understanding is better than mine. These painful things that were so hard for me to face, now today are the precipice and the foundation that I stand upon to help somebody else to understand you can get through this, and when you get through this, you'll be a better person on the other side. <laughs> we got to hurry. Proverbs, the third chapter, the fifth verse says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding." but to acknowledge God in all of your ways. So I ask myself, does my heart truly trust God? That's the point of this message today. Does my heart trust God? Or does my mind make excuses for keeping the control of my little world? Does my heart trust God or does my mind make excuses for keeping control of my little world? The worst days of my life were the best exercise in my life for my heart. Because losing something reveals the attitude of your mind, will, and emotions. Are you with me? How many knows it's easy to receive blessing? Woohoo! I love blessing. Don't you? We all do. We love it. It's exciting when something new happens or, or, so, or, or the Lord opens up a gift and someone gives you a beautiful gift or, or a financial gain or you just name it. It's exciting. But then my heart is revealed if I lose a blessing because Often God has to give me a blessing so he can take the blessing away or life can take the blessing away so that I can now find out what was really in my heart all along. Because I think I'm so sold out to God. When I walk in the room, I sometimes just feel like, oh, not really. Not really, I don't. <laughs> not really. But there are moments that you think, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. But then, then you find out, I'm really not doing so good. When something happens and you've scared the children and the cats and the dogs and they're all cowering in the corner because you've let the monster out, you find out, oops, oops, oops. I didn't have it as in control as I thought I did. And I have to work on me a little bit more. 
The things that God adds to my life is wonderful, but blessings do not build my character. Did I say that so you could catch it? Blessings do not build my character. They are a reward for my character. <laughs> but when I lose something, that's when I discover the depths of my trust in God. How many have ever read Job? I know a lot of people who won't even go to that part of the Bible now because they think it says Job. It's not right. It's not right. But here's a man who was abundantly blessed. Everything he put his hand to was prosperous because his heart was right before God. His greatest fear was that his children weren't serving God the right way, and he was afraid that these children, if, if they didn't get their heart right, could die in an undone condition. That was the greatest fear of Job's heart, and the thing he feared the most came upon him. He lost everything he owned. He would have, he, it happened so quickly. It all happened within a day's time. Uh, 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 one of his servants would come and say, someone stole all the camels. So, and then someone else would come and say, they stole all the donkeys. And someone else would come and say, they stole all, they stole all, they stole all. They took it all, they took it all. And then the biggest fear, one of the messengers came and said, well, your kids were all uh, having a dinner and an entertainment in their house and the house collapsed and killed them all. And the only person he had left besides a few handful of servants was his wife who begged him to curse God and just die. And in the greatest season of loss, this man of character who Satan designed to try to destroy, God held up as a champion because God understood what was already in the heart of the man. And he said, you can take everything, but you cannot kill him. You can afflict his body, but you can't bring death. And in the middle of sitting on a heap, scraping boils in his skin with a piece of pottery, in agonizing pain, and in a time of deep, deep sorrow and grief, when he lamented even being born, and then at the lowest state of his life comes his confidants who are to come and encourage him, who sat for days and just looked at him and didn't say a word. And when they started to open their mouth, they just told him that he must have hidden sin in his life. But then in the moment of agonizing despair, when he's not sure what's in his heart, he goes, God, I just think it would have been better if you'd have just left me unborn. And that opens up a conversation with God when God says, where were you when I did this and did that and did the other thing? And at the end of the conversation, he goes, Job, Job, if I can do all these things, you think I can't get you out of this? And Job, who just for a slight moment 
had a thought in the other direction, turned back to God in the fullness and said, I trust you with my life. Even if you slay me, I am going to trust you. So I suggest that we don't measure a man with the most blessings as the most spiritual person, but consider the person with the most struggles. Could it be that person operates in real trust? If you see a man who's walking in great blessing, it's because he's already had a Job experience. I got to hurry. Proverbs, the fourth chapter, the 23rd verse says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do comes out of your mind, will, and emotions. Do you know that even if God is calling your spirit and you feel a churning in your spirit, that your mind, will, and emotions can keep you from the altar? God won't make you do something. He'll invite you. He'll woo you. He'll touch you, but he won't make you. He won't force you. Is this okay? Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What is that really trying to say to us? What it's really trying to say from us is know your heart and know where your weaknesses are and submit those weaknesses to the word of God in those areas so that when you're pushed in those areas, you won't surrender to yourself, but you'll surrender to God. Your spirit is well. That is the God-likeness of you. And God's got you in your spirit, but your soul is where you are measured. Are you self-disciplined? Are we self-disciplined? Are we patient? Are we trusting? Are we faithful? Are we loving? Are we kind? Are we tale-bearers? Are we gossips? Are we materialistic? Are we self-serving? Are we self-important? Are we self-preservationists? This list could go on and on and on. I don't owe the world what's upon my heart and the matters of my heart. But I owe an account, accounting and an accountability to God. He deserves all my heart. He deserves everything about me. He deserves, my, he deserves the best from my mind, will, and emotions. He deserves from me a bending and a bowing when he calls me by the Spirit to surrender, even if it makes me look foolish. He deserves for me to lay prostrate on an old rolled-out piece of carpet on a concrete floor and to cry out, God, whatever you must do to make me like you, go ahead. He deserves when we stop church and everyone just comes and kneels for a moment to magnify his name. 
He deserves that when I'm going through the worst night of my life that I keep acknowledging him even though I can't see him in the moment. He deserves when my heart is being ripped out and I can't figure it all out and my mind is torturing me for me to keep running back to him and saying, Lord, here I am, here I am, here I am. Help me so that I don't do something foolish out of my mind, will, and my emotions. My point today is that the heart of a man can lie to him because we are complex and easily swayed by our own emotions and thoughts. We're easily swayed by outside influences and the opinions of others. We're easily swayed by society. One of the strongest Christian strongholds in the world is now hanging in the balance. Will it survive? Because we're influenced by the thoughts of others and not the convictions of our own. We're often swayed by our own desire. If you think desire isn't strong, let me come to your house and take something of yours. Unannounced. You come out and there it is. It's gone. And your heart will sink and you'll find out how attached you were to that thing. So let me finish. It's, it's about five or six after. I apologize. We must check ourselves and our motives and our intents and our influences because our heart or our soul is where the core of our motivations come from. We can say and come to all the Bible studies and be at every worship service and be the first one to volunteer, but not truly understand the true core of our heart or our motivations. Sometimes we're doing a work for God, really for ourselves, and not for God. Man, that was heavy in the room. See, this church is about training us for the next place, the next level in God. If we don't have this discussion, people can continue on being deceived, thinking they're doing great things for God. You know, I would, I would literally fall apart if even one of the congregants of this place arrived at the gates and, and, and stood before God to find out that their motives were all wrong and none of, none of their works counted for anything. And for that person to look at me and say, you didn't tell me, would be the greatest grief of my entire life. So I'll make myself unpopular on this side of heaven to make sure that you make it on that side. So let me finish. 
I want everything I do to lead to a life that is pleasing to my God, whom I honor and hold in the most valued position of my life. And because of that, I echo King David, who has been exalted for many generations as a man whose heart is after God, but whose own mind, will, and emotions got him into an adulterous, then murderous affair. And from that one act, all the latter days of David's kingdom was always in question. So I echo his words in Psalms 51.10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right and steadfast spirit in me. I'm going to say it one more time. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right and steadfast spirit in me. Let my motivations be right. Let my will be right, God. Let my will always bend to your will. Let, let my mind always be cited in the word that you have given that is life and life itself. God, help me to get my emotions aligned with truth so that I don't knee-jerk actions out of an emotion when I've got the word of God to stand on. Father, I thank you for this message. And I pray, Father, that it bores down deep into the heart of every believer in this place. Father, create in me a clean heart. Create in Passion Church a clean heart. Create in the church of Jesus Christ a clean heart. Create in Missouri a clean heart. Create, Father, in the United States a clean heart before our God. And we give you the honor, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask just real quickly. You're here today, and that touched you in a special way, and you're not afraid to say so. Would you raise your hand and say, that was me. I needed to hear that today. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm preaching to me, not to you. But thank you. Father, I just pray for these whose hands were raised. God, help us to settle the issues. Help us to always side with the truth of your word. And from this day forward, Father, we give you our all. And we will... Always, Father, bend to you and not to self. We ask it all in Jesus' name.